Hello and welcome. My name is Liva Bonnevie and this is episode 24 from Clan of the Horses, a podcast about horses and horse people. Today's guest, Amy Skinner, embraces her training philosophy based on classical dressage and sound horsemanship practices. Her goal is to keep the best interest of a horse and rider in mind, choosing to avoid fads and quick fixes, and rather see continual learning from the best teacher any rider can ever have, the horse. I came across some videos of her horsework on an online event, and her approach made me curious, so I reached out and asked her for an interview. Because I think it is really important to look beyond the flashy stuff that people are so used to see, where a man fights with a horse and there's a lot of action going on, action that too often results in a horse full of distress and discomfort. I will much rather highlight trainers who take the time needed to teach the horse to respond through understanding and cooperation, rather than through reaction and fear. Okay, Amy, so um, thank you ever so much for taking the time to have this interview. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm very excited. I would like to, uh, usually when I invite people that I haven't, because I've never met you, I've just seen some videos of you online and I got curious. So it's always nice to hear, you know, the story, you know, why, all the things you can do in life, why why horses? Well, um, I don't really know why, because I didn't grow up in a family that had horses. And it was just one of those things that since I was a very little girl, I was just completely obsessed with them. And every time we drove by a field full of horses, I was the little girl that was going bonkers over them. So <laughs> I, uh, I bothered my parents and begged until they um, got me riding lessons. And uh, my dad was in the Air Force. And so um, we got, I started lessons at a military riding school and it just kind of went from there. So I started training professionally um, maybe 12 years ago, and I got started doing um, young horses and problem behaviors and things like that. Um, and then as I uh, kept learning, I started becoming interested in dressage, and then I started realizing that there was a big parallel between behavior and posture, and so that's where I am now. So I work with those two things kind of seamlessly. They're not separate at all. We just have to ask you also about your surname. Skinner. Skinner? Yeah. Uh, well, usually when people uh, think about it, they think of the Simpsons like Principal Skinner. <laughs> yeah, but I guess there is the BF Skinner, the behaviorist, but um, I, don't, uh, I don't have any actual relation to him that I know of. Because judging by the videos I've seen of you, um, you do know quite a bit of about horses' behavior. Yeah, um, I don't have any actual real education in terms of school or college you know I barely graduated high school so everything that I uh, know about horses is just through good teaching and trial and error. How would you describe then the horsemanship that you have uh, sort of not ended up with because it's for sure always evolving but how would you describe where you are today with horses your philosophy? Well I would say that my philosophy is to try and observe how the horse is behaving and to observe how they seem to think and to take that individual horse's behavior and thought pattern and mold it in a way that I can present information easily to them. So each each horse is unique and each moment is unique so there really isn't too much of a step-by-step -step process that I go by. Um, which is one thing that I think is a little unique because everyone has their plan, you know, and their step-by-step -step format. And um, I think that life is a lot more fluid than that. And so I would say that I, 
I do a lot of observing the horse and just trying to blend in with where they are and find ways that they can understand and take them to the next step. So there are two keywords there, easy and, and the ability to understand. Yeah, I want to make sure that learning is easy. Yeah. Yeah, because this is this is what really triggered me to to contact you because I, I was watching an online event. Uh, a lot of trainers were presented, so you can kind of, you know, go and pick the ones you wanted to see and so many unfamiliar names for me. And I, I was... I remember it closely when I looked at your video because before I saw your video, I saw another video. There was a there was a guy calling my. I think he called himself the horse guru for some odd reason, um, and he was really violent with the horses and kind of you know scaring them and adrenaline like you know through the roof and not very good energy in the horses and uh, and pushing them very hard, uh, and the horse is really confused and really scared and it uh, it looks horrible. Uh, and and then I switched to your video, and that was just coincidental. And then there were you with a horse, all quiet, all you know, uh, soft spoken, all uh, giving the horse time, all being patient, and and all the, uh, also we have made some comments about you could have asked the horse to do this and this, but the horse wouldn't understand it yet. So then you would wait. So it was, it was just a you know striking difference between the two of you. Uh, and I wanted to talk to you about, you know, how um, you seem to build a very, you seem to be very thorough about building a foundation that makes it possible for the horse to understand what, you know, what is expected of it. Yeah, so so uh, I love the fact that you look at them as individuals and don't follow a strict system. But uh, but still, it would be interesting to, yeah, to get to know more the feel that you have when you, when you have, a, you know, a new horse at hand and, and how you start. Yeah. So, so that horse, um, I knew that he had only ever been drug around. He, he, they would hold him by the chin and pull him everywhere. So he was very, very resistant to the lead rope and he didn't really know that he was supposed to do anything about it, you know, so he pulled on people a lot. So knowing that when I pick up the lead rope, I'm not expecting him to feel very soft because that's not what he's used to. So, you know, for example, he would, he would walk ahead of me and past me and it was like he was waiting to be pulled onto the lead rope. So Instead of expecting him to, you know, go behind me right away and, you know, jerk the lead rope to make him go behind me, um, I kind of tried to find a place where we could blend together. So there were spots that I was walking where he would maybe slow down a little bit. And that's where I would introduce the idea of slowing down for the first time. Um, you know, and if he was speeding up in certain places, I would introduce the idea of speeding up with me to have him follow the lead rope. And then he stopped being defensive and he stopped being so worried. And within a few minutes, he started paying attention to the lead rope and kind of seeing what I was asking him to do. So in knowing that he was going to come in ready to be pulled on, I tried to think about why he was feeling the way he was feeling and how I could help blend in what I wanted with what he was already planning to do. It was really elegant. Oh, thank you. And yeah, and very nice to see um, somebody who are able to present something to the horse and, like you say, blend in. I think it's really important and underestimated mm -hmm. how important it is to, you know, being able to read the horse and and meet the horse where the horse is at any given moment. Yeah, you know, um, you want them to feel soft, and so many people go about making the horse feel soft by jerking all over their face, and that's just to me, it's counterintuitive. You don't make something soft by jerking on it, so. It's very common, though. Yeah, it's really common. And the thing is, is that if he doesn't understand at all where I'm coming from, because he has his own experiences and his own education, he's not going to immediately understand what I want. So he's going to be worried and he's going to be defensive. And so if 
all it takes is just a shred of insight to see that he's expecting to be pulled on and he thinks he's supposed to pull on me. So of course he's not just going to give me what I want immediately. We have to find a way to help him understand what I want and blend from where he is to where I'd like him to be. It's, um, it's really interesting, I think, to, to see, like you say, you know, that the, the jerking and the hitting and the, you know, making the horse really nervous is so, is so common um, when we know what we know about horses today. I mean, why are we being unsensitive with sensitive creatures? It's, it's very strange, I think. I think there's two main causes. And the one for a lot of horse trainers is because it's effective and fast and it looks good. And a lot of people watching like the excitement and they like the drama and they kind of expect it. And so I know that as a horse trainer myself, sometimes if you don't create drama, they think that you're not a very good horse trainer because nothing happened that you didn't fix. You know, they think like, well, you had an easy horse. I get that all the time. Well, you had an easy horse, you know, or, um, or you just don't know how to, or you're scared. You get that a lot that I'm afraid. I'm afraid to make them reactive because then I might, you know, be confronted with some big energy. But I think the main reason that people are aggressive with horses like that is because they're afraid, you know, they're afraid of the power that a horse has and they, they want to get control of it very fast. Uh, when you talk about control and, and um, being afraid of horses and also the language used when you, when you train horses uh, in America, you say the horse is broken to ride. Yeah, yeah. Uh, why? <laughs> well, that uh, you know, stems from old cowboy culture back in the 50s, probably way back to the 40s or even, even older is you had a job to do out on a ranch. And so you had a bunch of horses that were very wild and you had to get them broke very, very quickly, which usually meant a lot of really unsavory tactics. You know, they'd tie these horses down and sack them out and basically get them to surrender their spirit so that they could be rideable. Um, we don't do things as horribly as that anymore, but some of those remnants are still around, you know, you can still see the lingo and you can still see the approach today in some of these places where they are using nicer language but the way that it's presented is pretty close to it it's just gotten softened over the years you know you know they say things like i'm going to give the horse a good deal and a bad deal but what it really means is if you don't do what i like you're going to get in some kind of trouble have you guys considered uh finding some new words for it yeah um a lot of people use words like starting instead of breaking um, that's becoming more and more common to say starting a horse or educating a horse. Some people say backing a horse. Um, those are becoming backing like you're sitting on their back. I, that one was confusing to me too when I first heard it, but backing is um, something some people say. Um, those are becoming more common. I think breaking is getting out of favor, so less people are saying it. I'm glad to hear it because I think it's maybe it's because I'm a writer, but I always think that, you know, what you call it is really important in terms of how you're going to do it later. Yeah. Yeah. On my website, I think it says young horse education, which means that it's like the beginning of their education. So I think those words are very important, too. So um, what truly inspires you when you work with horses? Do you also work with with a horse and rider or? Yep, I teach. um I teach around the country. Um, I do, you know, weekend clinics where I try to teach people how to read their horse, how to connect with their horse. And, you know, some of the stuff that I teach is tricky to teach because people are so used to 
those steps, you know, they want to be taught a series of steps in a clinic. And really what I'm trying to teach people is how to be uh, a little more intuitive, a little more creative, but mostly to be aware. Awareness is the first thing, because if you can't be aware of what's happening, you can't do anything about it. And people are looking for recipes, you know, what do I do if, and I always get asked like, what do I do when he bucks? You just don't let him buck in the first place. We had that whole thing off, you know, we avoid that whole part. And they look at me like, you didn't hear me right. (laughs) But um, what inspires me is seeing people change and how much that affects the horse to watch, you know, at a clinic, somebody start to become aware and start to realize how much their body and mind impacts the horse and to really start to take that seriously. That really inspires me because then I feel like um, we're, we're getting somewhere. We're making some headway in the world. You know, it's getting out of do this, do that, and do the other thing. And then you can make the horse do this, then that, and the other thing. And it's turning more into people have to be better people, you know, because it's great that we all like horses, but it could be piano or martial arts or whatever. It's really just about self-development. It's about being better people. And the horses are not a problem. After that, the horses will do all kinds of cool stuff. But as long as the focus is, you know, at the clinic, how do I make my horse take a left lead or trot better or whatever, the, the focus is entirely wrong. And, you know, then people never really change. So what would be the right focus, you think? So, you know, my favorite, if you want to get, you know, on my good side as my student, <laughs> my favorite thing <laughs> is if you ask me to say, you know, my horse is a little quick or a little unbalanced. What do I need to change in myself to help him? You know, instead of how do I slow my horse down or make him canter better? The focus is what do I need to give this horse to help him feel better about trotting? That's the focus that it needs to be is is the rider needs to do something. The rider needs to adjust something instead of fixing everything. You know, because if you think, well, my horse is too fast, then the response is reactive. Then it's to grab their face or pull the reins or, you know, do some exercise as a reaction to the horse's trot. And the trot is really just communication. If the trot is poor, it's communication that I'm unbalanced, I'm feeling insecure, or my body isn't prepared. So a thinking rider is tuned in all the time. They're aware of these pieces and they're responding in real time and they're educating and guiding the horse instead of reacting to all these behaviors they don't like. So it's an entirely different focus. And also, I think, um, more challenging for people to change their way than to change the horse. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. It's the hardest thing in the whole world. Um, because, you know, people can pay lip service to it. They can say, I want a good relationship with my horse. I hear that from everybody. Nobody doesn't say that. But how many of them truly understand that that means they're the problem, that they really understand that I need to change who I am and be a better person? Because usually what they think that means is I'm going to sit at the fence and read a book with him and give him cookies. <laughs> you know, like one, one absolves you completely from personal responsibility. And the other one is a lifelong pursuit of better self-discipline and awareness. I always felt that it was a bit of a shame that a lot of people miss that part completely. They do. Yeah, because it's the hard part and the longest part. Yeah, but it's, but it's the best part as well. <laughs> It is. That's like I said, you know, we happen to like horses, but it wouldn't really matter what it was if you have that tendency, because it could be music, it could be art, it could be anything, you would use it to make yourself a better person. You know, with horses, we, we get really easily caught up in making the horse do stuff. And it becomes an an ego feed instead of a 
self-discipline practice because you have this big animal that you're making run around or bow or sit down or jump or whatever it is you're interested in doing. So if I came from this kind of wiggle, wiggle, bump, jerk, hit, smack kind of, you know, direction, and I ended up with you, um, how, how do you start? <laughs> um, I think the most important thing for changing your habits with a horse, if you're, if you're wiggle bump jerk is to understand why the horse is doing things in the first place. Like I said, if you're wiggling and jerking and bumping, you're in reaction mode, you know, and that's not to say everything will always be beautiful because at clinics, some people's horses are very dangerous and, and it's not like I can, I can sing a little song and hope that they will stop. Sometimes, you know, it does get a little more animated than I would like it to, but you, I try to teach people to be aware. So if you're wiggling and jerking and bumping, you have to really study behavior and movement and see what's happening before it happened, you know, because before a horse um, runs into you, say if they're running towards you, there was maybe 10, 10 expressions and movements that came before that. So if the horse is already on top of you, then you have to give a big jerk on the lead, ride, lead line. But if you see it shaping up and you see it start to happen, you can redirect it or change it before it happens. And so you can be much more subtle. And that's when people are likely to say, well, you've got an easy horse or nothing bad happened with you when really you're observant enough to stop it or shape it. So it's not happening in the first place. So, you know, really being smooth and being gentle is not about only being, you know, fluffy. It's about having acute awareness so that you're capable of seeing these things before they happen and shaping them up into something different. And on top of that, it's about giving the horse a skill set so that they don't feel like they have to, you know, so every behavior comes with a, a reason behind it. So why would a horse want to run me over? They don't want to run me over just because they hate me. They, there's a reason they feel worried or they think they're supposed to, or they're trying to protect themselves or something caused it. Right. So I, I have to pay attention to what caused it and how can I prevent or change that? So, you know, with a lot of people's horses, they get pulled on so much. I mean, I don't think most people are aware at all of how much they really pull, like pull, 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 just as a force of habit. And a horse becomes very braced and very defensive and very afraid or very, you know, they just get sick of it. So they run into you or they step on you or they bite you and they get smacked in the face. And so it starts this really, you know, dysfunctional cycle of behavior where people are always correcting the behavior in these big ways, but never providing solutions to the behavior, you know? So changing your ways is really changing your whole perspective on horses altogether. You have to look at the horse for, for what it is. Why does he think that way? Why does he act that way? And then what can you do to provide a better, more stable and comforting um, way of life to the horse? And that's where things get tricky because it's not usually as simple as like, you know, if your horse is, if your horse is crowding you, jiggle the rope and he'll stop. You know, there's a problem with an easy solution. When in reality, maybe that horse lives in a stall 23 hours a day and he's pent up with too much energy. And maybe he's getting too much sugar and too many carbohydrates to eat and not enough movement. And maybe his daily life is miserable and his handling is very poor. So the solution is much more complex than just jiggle the rope and he'll stop. No wonder that people, you know, prefer just to do the yeah, wiggle wiggle right. thing. Because exactly. once you kind of go into the details saying, you know, there are 10 signs before it happens, people will go, what? 10 signs? I see nothing. Uh, so it's, exactly. it's, yeah, so it's, it's a long journey, isn't it? Yeah, it's a, and it really is. It's a long journey to personal development. So I had a girl at my clinic uh, last weekend 
who said her horse felt heavier than she'd ever felt before. And what should she do about it? Because she was riding and she said he kept pulling on the reins. And I said, he's not pulling on the reins. You're pulling on the reins. And she said, well, what do I do about it? And I said, stop pulling on the reins. And she said, well, what do I do to make him stop? (laughs) He will stop when you stop. And she just looked at me like, why aren't you giving me an answer? And I said, you have to learn to change the way you handle your reins and then he'll adjust. But she just kept asking me, how do I make him stop pulling on the reins? And I said, you stop pulling on the reins and then he'll stop. And she said, but what do I do when he pulls on the reins? And I said, nothing. Stop pulling on your reins. (laughs) And she was so frustrated. But, you know, I won't give you a solution if you're the cause. You know, I don't I'm not going to give you uh, an exercise to do to fix the problem if you are the problem the exercise is stop being the problem (laughs) and that's you know you can just see the question mark above people's heads and you know I think too people need to learn to be a little bit uncomfortable because they always want a solution they want a solution now and um, I think that the average person needs to get used to being a little uncomfortable and delving into a little more of an exploratory self-awareness kind of a journey instead of you know I paid you money for this clinic. Now you give me a solution. The end. Can we talk about awareness? Just to, you know, to start in the really complicated end because she's saying the horse is pulling on her, but she's really pulling on him, but she's not aware of it. Exactly. And that's the first step is you have to become aware just how much you're contributing. And I feel for her because I've been there. I understand. And I was there when I first started learning too. Everything is always the horse's fault, even if you don't admit it out loud, you think that way. It's the horse's fault. He didn't stop well. He didn't go well. He's dull to my leg. He's this, he's that, and the other thing. Um, but if you were to video yourself and watch it, you would see how many times you pulled or how many times you kicked or how many times you were out of balance. Um, so developing that awareness that the horse is responding as best he can to what you're doing is so uncomfortable and so humbling, but you can't go on without it. You know, it's the first step to being a quality horse person. And, you know, most people will never get there. Or if they do get there, they get they get so uncomfortable with how bad it feels to see themselves for as messy as they really are that they will shut off or, or they'll just get trapped in being self-deprecating. You know, they'll be like, I'm a horrible rider and I don't deserve to ride horses and they'll quit. But, you know, every one of us has ugly stuff we do and it isn't fun to notice. But you have to look at it more like a scientist than, um, you know, you look at yourself and you see yourself pull and it's, you've got two choices. You can decide that that's not you and you didn't really do that. Or you can decide that you're the world's worst person and quit. Um, well, then, then there's the third choice, which is to look at it objectively and use that awareness to improve and say, I don't want to be like that anymore. So I'm going to change because I have control over my own mind and body. It's easier to blame a 1,200 pound animal with the brain the size of my palm than to uh, say, I, I am pulling on this horse and I need to stop. But, you know, sometimes it's like, you know, people are tattling on their horses like little kids. You know, they're like, he won't stop. And, and I always say, are you blaming the horse who's like a 1,200 pound rabbit or are you going to do something about it? <laughs> do you have like an example from any of your clinics where where you kind of felt that you moved mountains with a, with a horse and a rider? Oh yeah. So many. Yeah. I can think of one where this horse was so tight and he was just chomping on the bit like this, just constantly. And he would get his tongue out and he would flop it to the side and 
he wouldn't put his head down at all. His head was either straight or up the whole time. And of course, it made the rider tense. And she was a good rider. She didn't realize that she was tensing up too. And she was trying to help him relax. And so she was doing all these extra things, you know, doing these exercises, serpentine circles, trying to get him to relax his neck. And he just couldn't get there. And she said, I feel like he hates me. And, you know, I said, I don't think he hates you. He just, the feeling that you're providing him isn't different from what he's already doing. You know, he was tight and she was tight, even though she wasn't nervous or pulling on him, it wasn't different. And so it was just kind of recycling this pattern in his head. So I walked her through relaxing her whole body on him. And she said, that doesn't make sense because he feels like a hot rod. You know, he feels like a, uh, like a board who's running away from me, like a jackhammer. She said, how are you supposed to relax while riding a jackhammer? <laughs> I said, just pretend you're riding the nicest horse in the whole world. And I walked her through her whole body head to toe and I helped her relax and soften her body and just completely let go of the reins and just let him go kind of wherever he wanted. And at first it was very ugly. You know, he just didn't know what to do. So he started spiraling around, but within a few minutes, he had his neck down and he is dragging it in the dirt and he was breathing and sighing. He tried to get down and roll for a little bit. I mean, it was just so beautiful. And the reason that that worked was because she had to offer him a feeling so he could know what it was and get there where, you know, he was tight enough that she was following that tightness just, just enough that it was keeping him feeling tight. And it was, you know, she wasn't able to guide him out of that feeling just because his rigidity made her rigid. So when she offered him the feeling she wanted him to find, he was like a totally different horse. It's that kind of stuff that I absolutely love. I love that kind of stuff because it's very, very simple. You know, there's nothing to do. There's only a change in the person. Um, there's no magical exercise. You know, there's not like a do the spiral in and spiral out and he'll be cured. It's really, you know, get control of your body and change it. And that's what a horse really responds to. It's not easy, but what I love about it is it is so simple. Anyone can do it if they just can get control of themselves. Can we also talk a little bit about, because it's like you said, it's, it looks less flashy and, you know, it's less, you know, entertainment, but can we talk a little bit about what you gain by, you know, changing yourself and, and really, you know, apply yourself to, to present something different to the horse, something softer? Well, it changes your whole life. You know, you get to be a whole new person. And I think the the beauty of it is when you start to master your own mind and body, you realize just how much control over your life you actually have. You know, I'm for you know, an example, I'll use myself as an example, because I am petrified of air, air, airplanes. I'm scared to death to fly. And that's a problem because I fly almost every other weekend. You know, I'm constantly on airplanes and I'm like panicking, you know, and I, I try to watch a movie to distract myself or I try to pretend like it isn't happening or go to my mental happy place. And um, those get you by okay, but they never fix the problem. And I had this flight uh, last weekend um, where we caught some bad air and it became very turbulent. And the pilot came on and announced that we were riding through a severe storm. So of course I panic and I'm thinking like, this is it, you know, we're going to die on this airplane. And the thought crossed my mind again, I am the master of my own mind. So I was like, okay, Amy, put your money where your mouth is and get control of your brain. And so I started, I started doing some breathing practices and I would say it took about 10 minutes of severe turbulence in my breathing practices where I became more calm. Um, 
I wasn't super calm, but I was much calmer. And I realized that, um, because of my practice with horses, I can, I can really take my mind and do whatever I want with it. If I practice enough, you know, that that type of situation is not out of my control. It's under my control. I can't control what happens to the plane, but I control what happens to me and what I do with it. And so, you know, it's, um, it's not the same as riding with horses, but it, it really, it is the same is that, um, that's what it's all about. It's about getting control of your mind and your body and being a better person in your whole life. Cause you know, what good does panicking in a crashing plane do you anyway? If you're, if you're going down, you're going down. So I might as well, might as well learn to control my mind there too, you know? So when you go flying now, is it different? I, I wouldn't say it's perfectly peaceful, but it's much better. I, I have my routine now where I, I'm like, okay, it's time to do your breathing practices, especially if turbulence comes up. And it's interesting because instead of trying to escape the moment, escape the plane flight, um, I try to pay attention to the airplane sounds. And if there's turbulence, I use that to bring me back to the moment. And so instead of leaving where I am to survive it, I try to be there as much as I possibly can and get control of my thoughts about it. So it's not perfect, but it's, it's much better. I think when I look back on my, you know, career with horses uh, and all the things that they've taught me, I think also, uh, for sure the awareness, but, but also, um, when the shit really hits the fan at work, uh, I feel that I have a really solid foundation to stand on. And, and, you know, when there's conflicts and stuff at work, you know, I've, uh, I, I, um, worked with a stallion once who kind of looked like a dragon and kind of went for me in a way. And, and, you know, mm -hmm. when you have some guys at work then who's kind of, you know, going for you verbally and, and yeah. being strong and aggressive, yeah. I'm like, you know, come on, this is, this is not That's enough to. That's a perfect to, example. Yeah. I mean, you know, yeah. because you've, you've been there and, and you, you felt that kind of energy and I, I just, I'm, I'm just so full of, I'm so grateful for all the stuff that horses have, uh, have taught me. Whether it's a horse running at you or another person trying to intimidate you, it's not about reacting to that horse or that person. It's about, you know, knowing where you are and who you are. That awareness that you don't, you don't have to be aggressive, but you also, you know, you're the master of your own body and mind. So do your worst. You know, you're not going to intimidate me because I'm balanced mentally, you know, so it doesn't have to be this reactive fight, but you don't have to run away either. Can I ask you, do you do, you do competitions as well or... I have put very little effort into competitions, um, mainly because I want to have something very, very good to present. It's a lot of money and I haven't felt like I had something perfect to present yet. And, you know, where dressage competition is concerned, I feel like you can be successful if you either do a really horrible job, like my teacher calls it the best of the bad. You know, if you just kind of cram it all together and put it out there, you, you can do pretty well. Or you can do pretty well if you do a perfect, classically correct job. And so, you know, if you value your horse and the relationship with your horse, then you don't push them to a show just to win the show. I, you know, I'm, I'm ready to get out there when the horse is ready to feel calm and good and going well enough to do that under pressure of a show. So I wouldn't say that I'm against showing but I don't have any horse right now that I feel like it wouldn't blow their mind if I did that. When you look at the horse world as a whole, do you feel like 
optimistic in the way that we are sort of improving our ways, that we know more about forced behavior now than before and that we have learned from the past? Or are we kind of stuck and not able to evolve that much? Yes and no. Um, I hate to sound like a pessimist, but I think some people are just completely stuck in their ways, especially when you look at the competitive world. You know, it can be really, really ugly and that kind of ugliness is rewarded heavily. So some people are never going to change. They're going to keep doing what they're being rewarded for. And that's a large population of people. And then there's people who are starting to evolve and think more about their horses and how they're teaching and talking to their horses. And, and that some of that is really, really good. But my big concern is that a lot of people are using nice lingo, but not really creating a better world for the horse or becoming better people. They're just using nice words like positive and ethical and you know, relationship, but the horses are still stressed out and the horses are still, you know, imbalanced. And they, once they use those words, it kind of admonishes them from having to do that personal work because they say things like, I I don't use pressure. I only use positive experiences only. So once they say those words, it's really easy to absolve yourself of any personal effort because they say, well, my horse loves what I do because I do nice things. I'm a nice person. The end. You know, and, and if you try to tell that person your horse actually is still very stressed and they need this and that and the other change, it's like the conversation is dead. And not with all people, but that's a big concern of mine about the wording and the um, kind of popular new types of training that are coming through in big waves is they aren't really about the horse in a lot of ways. They're about making the rider feel good without doing the hard personal work. You know, because you get to use the nice words and you get to say the nice things, but you know, you take the nice wrapping paper off and what do we really have? We have a pretty stressed out horse still. So it's just a different type of stress. Is it better or worse? I'm not really sure. So yeah, yeah, I think it is improving, but I also think it's kind of coming around like the other way, you know, like the pendulum swings one direction and then all the way to the other. I think that's kind of human nature. They do that with everything, you know? It's kind of like religion, you know, religion in theory sounds like it's going to do a good thing for humanity. It's going to make people better. It's going to make people more aware of how their time on earth is spent. But a lot of people just use it to absolve themselves of change. And they just say, I'm a nice person. And then they use it to judge everyone who's not doing what they do. And that's the end. And also, yeah, and sometimes you can kind of also get that feel of religion when it comes to specific, you know, communities within the horse world as well. Yes. Yep. You know, that you have what you call it, a guru or the leader or the teacher or whatever. And and there is kind of a, what you call the congregation or what you call the... I call it a cult, yeah. A cult, yeah. Yeah, that would be a good <laughs> word for it. Um, yeah. And yeah, so it's, there are challenges, but I, I think I I agree with your, you know, observation that... that um, a lot of it is moving forward. I think there are a lot of good energies. I can see it in the in the forums in Norway. I can see yeah. that from, you know, my horse won't stop. And then people will say, you know, 10 years ago, just get a sharper bit and, you know, put him in his place and all that stuff. But now more frequently, I can see that people say, but why? Yeah. Why is it happening in the first place? And um, yeah, for sure. But yeah, it's, um, it's uh, we call it... Um, we say it's a it's a large canvas to to paint in a way. I don't know if you have that expression. There's there's certainly a lot a lot of improvement. You know, when I first started teaching, nobody ever asked me how to make their horse like them better. They only asked me how to make their horse do stuff. And you know, now you hear 
how do I make my horse more comfortable? I don't care how long it takes. I hear that way more frequently. So there's, there are lots of positive changes and the clients I have now are far better than the ones I had regularly 10 years ago. So not even a comparison at all. So do you, do you think there is, um, how, how is it like in, in, um, you know, in the state that you live when it comes to being a female trainer versus being a, a male trainer? Do you, do you feel that you get kind of the same, I would maybe use the word respect, but you, do you feel that it's, it's different to be a female and train horses than being a guy doing it? Well, uh, I only have my own experience because I have heard from other female trainers that they don't notice any difference. Uh, you know, personally, I think that it is a huge difference. And I think that more so than other men not respecting you, I think women don't respect you as much as they respect other male trainers. I have noticed that women are far more likely to respect a male trainer, especially if he's kind of a brash trainer with a bravado personality. Those kinds of guys somehow draw a very large, very loyal crowd. So, you know, I think that to be a female trainer means you have to be 10 times better than your peers. And people scrutinize me far more, I think, than they would a male trainer. You know, it's stuff like if I take a horse for training, I... I might feed that horse impeccably, ride them five days a week, never miss a day. And if that horse goes home with a scratch, somebody's going to be very upset at me. Whereas, you know, I hear these same clients complain that some male trainer that they sent their horse to didn't get fed and didn't get rode and they're still working with them. So, you know, whereas I would be, you know, ripped a new one for one little thing that didn't go perfectly. These guys, I think, are getting away with murder half the time and they don't always do a fantastic job. So personally, I feel that I have to have far better client relationship and communication skills. I have to do a 10 times better job and I have to explain to the client consistently why it's why the work that I'm doing is important because it's not flashy. Um, you know, certainly there are very, very good male trainers out there. I just think that they're more likely to be respected by other female trainers or by other female clients. I mean, than than I might be, but I don't, I don't think it's that case. It's that way in every discipline. You know, I think that the English disciplines typically are more female trainers than males. So, but then I don't know, because of the top levels, all of these top level writers are like the majority of them are men. So I still don't think it's really that equal. I could for sure uh, talk to you for hours because I think it's, <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, the topic is, I think it's very interesting whenever I talk to a trainer and that's also why I wanted to invite you, you know, when you take responsibility for being the human yeah. and take responsibility for making the horse feel safe and, and understood, like, um, I think it was Warwick Schiller who uh, interviewed somebody when they talked about the horse or, or also for humans, the need of feeling seen, heard, felt, and yep. understood. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's really what we all want. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's a lot of hard work. I mean, I've, I've had, like, I, I wrote a book 10 years ago where this was sort of the topic and, and had a lot of readers coming up to me and say, you know, it sounds wonderful, but it's too much work. Uh, <laughs> and it is yeah. a lot I've of work. I've heard that before. <laughs> <laughs> it is a lot of work, but it's, it's just impossible to, to describe or you know, even give them a remote understanding of what you actually gain out of it, you know, the value. Well, yeah. Not everyone is going to want it. And some people just don't know what it is. They don't, you know, that you're, you're only able to convey words. When you talk to somebody about that, all I can give you is the words about it, but you can't feel it until you find it for yourself. So if you don't want it, you don't want it. But I think that most people would love it if they just could know what it was. 
it's just shaky trying to get there because it becomes very messy, you know, and, and what, what I have experienced a lot with my students is at first they're like, well, I love this work. This is so cool. I love the respect that it offers my horse, you know, but then it starts to get messy. It starts to get kind of ugly and things aren't going perfectly. And then they go, well, you know, I like this stuff, but at the end of the day, he just has to do it. So then they leave and they go on to something else. So whether they kind of dip their toe in it and they're like, eh. I'd rather, you know, I'm going to pull on him again because it's, he just has to get in the trailer. Yeah. So, you know, it's <laughs> kind of like I flirted with it. It wasn't for me. I'm <laughs> going back to the old stuff. And I don't blame anybody, but they're missing out, I think. Yeah, I think so too. And But it, there's also, I mean, if you did, if you did dip your toe in it and, and, you know, change your mind, you can always change your mind back again, you know, at the later stage in life. Yeah. It's just going to be harder, you know, because you have so many more repetitions of your own habits and the older you get, those habits are harder and harder to break, you know, and I think about this all the time because I'm 33, I'm healthy, I'm young, I'm able-bodied and I want this more than anything. And it is so hard for me and I work on it all day as a career. This is my main focus in life and it's super hard for me. So if you aren't obsessed with it and if you aren't really giving it your best effort and if you're older, it's going to be that much harder because you've gone through your life doing your thing, living with your rigid ideas of stuff and blaming other people for the events in your life. And boy, it gets harder and harder and harder to change. But it's never too late. It's never too late. No, it's not. It's never too late. And I have had, I'll tell you, some people that I thought had the ugliest habits, the most, uh, disrespectful to the horse habits that I have seen. And I look at this person and I think there's no, this is never going to change. This person can't, it's too late. You know, I think that, and then they come back at a later date and I watch them and I'm like, what happened to you? <laughs> and they're like, I realized one woman, I think I was even like in tears when she said this, because the whole lesson, she was calling her horse an asshole and smacking him and you know, yelling at him. And I was like, this is hideous. I can't look at this. And she came back to me six months later and she said, I forgot that he was my friend and she was treating him so differently. And it was like, what happened? And then, you know, she said, my husband died and it changed my whole life. And I was like, well, I hate that that's the way that it happened, but it, it I'm happy that it happened. So can it can happen to some people you would never expect it to happen to. But some of us have to work very, very hard for it, but some people get it, you know, very quickly and we're also different. And also think uh, for sure there are disadvantages of, of getting older, but one of the advantages is that you also sometimes also get wiser. So once you kind of get the feel of it, then then it's sometimes it's easier to get all the pieces to kind of fall into place, I think. I've seen it on, on some occasions, not often, but I have seen some, like you explained, some very, you know drastic changes in people uh yeah at the late stage in life where you think wow that's really that's a giant leap you know yeah well i i have no frame of reference because i've never been old yet so you know the only experience that i have is my own and (laughs) observation of people and i think old age can go whichever it can go one of two ways you can become more set in your ways or you can become wiser and i I couldn't say what's the difference between one or the other. You know, maybe some people are lucky and they have experiences that make them wiser and other people, those same experiences might make them more rigid. So I think, I think the key word is never stop being curious. Yeah. Because if you, if you keep your curiosity, then you will always have sort of a flexible mind. But uh, 
you know, when you get rigid, it's because you you stop being curious. I think about people, about horses, about the world. So that's one of my main yeah. topic was I'm around, I think, close to 20 years older than you. And, you know, being yeah. open and curious, I think that's that's one of my key, uh, key things, because yeah. the people I've met that are kind of 20 years older than me, the ones that I really, really respect are the ones that, you know, stay curious and, and uh, develop all the time. You know, they're not, yeah. you know, getting because you can for sure stop developing and just stay where you are. But you can also choose not to yeah. end, you know continue the journey yeah i hear this all the time from um people who are are older if they're experienced horse people they say well you know i've been riding for 30 years or 40 years or i've been training for 30 years and that's longer than i've been alive in many cases and they use it to kind of stop the conversation like i've been doing this longer than you've been alive yeah and what what you have there is a, a lack of openness and curiosity because you know 40 years time of doing the same thing shut off from new advances is you know not really something to be proud of but <laughs> but um you know you hope that every single year of those 40 years is different and you keep being open to anything that's good you don't want to be open to everything you know but open to something that feels good to the inside of you so you know we we use those we use time and experience often to protect ourselves from curiosity like you said and curiosity would open you back up to learning but that can be an uncomfortable place for some people so it's hard to stay open but horses are a gift yeah they they really are they're amazing they're the great equalizer you know because an eight-year-old person with less experience than me is likely to do a better job with a horse than I am you know so my experience and my um skill set are no match for purity of heart that an eight-year-old might have and and a good feeling for a horse so it really does equalize all of us it doesn't matter how old you are how strong you are how long you've been doing something it's all about how you make a horse feel so I think that's a very cool thing because someday I will be old and I won't be strong anymore and maybe my skill set won't matter as much you know so um, that's why that's why this is so important to me because a horse is really good at reading what's inside of you. And uh, I think on some level we know that and we, we don't always like what we see. So it's easier to blame the horse. <laughs> yeah. It's more comfortable. I mean, yeah. if it's, if it's him, uh, yeah. it's not me. So for sure. <laughs> exactly. This horse just won't stop, you know, <laughs> it's much easier to say than this horse is feeling insecure and unsafe and stressed and rushed. And, you know, that's, a, that's a, a lot more to say. And why is he feeling all those things? Well, because I'm rushing him and making him scared. So easier to just say, he won't stop. What do I do? You know, yeah. I would like to um, finish off by asking you my signature question that I ask all my guests. And that is, what have you learned on your personal journey with the horses that you think is important that everybody dealing with horses should know? Oof, that's a good one. Um, you know, I think that everyone should know how the horse's body works and how the horse's mind works before they really get too fussed with uh, making them do anything. Because the more I have learned, the more I've realized that I got very lucky that a lot of horses did the things that I wanted, but there were a lot that couldn't do what I wanted because it was against their nature or against what their body was physically capable of doing. So I think everyone should dive into that 
uh, field of knowledge of learning how your horse thinks and behaves and how their body works, because then you have an owner's manual, you know, and you won't ask uh, ideally unreasonable things at the wrong time. And you'll focus more on preparing and educating than reacting or making them do things. So that's where, that's where I put all my focus now in my teaching and training is learning about the body and mind and helping students get control of their body and mind. And there's, it's about as simple as that. That's where all the good stuff comes from. Do you do online education? Yeah, I have, um, uh, phone consults that I do. I do, um, video assessments. You can send me a video assessment and I do some video lessons. Um, and I'm currently working on a video library, so it's going to be like a course that you can take on a library, a video library. Yeah, that's good. It's yeah, because I think it's really important with trainers like you, like you say, it's it's not a circus. It's 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 not necessarily very entertaining, but I think it's so important with trainers like you that yeah. kind of, you know, build the right foundation and uh, yeah, and yeah, have that approach that the real job is actually the human. Yeah, um, yeah, and understanding and feeling the horse. Yep, I think that um, all of society could use a little more discomfort and a little more boredom. (laughs) (laughs) I think everyone is so conditioned to having all this time filled, you know, and having things be exciting and having us kind of be able to buy our way through life that I think it's really time to re-educate the public to feeling that that's not how nature works. That's not how reality works. You know, you can't, you can't buy an experience with a horse at a clinic. You can't buy an education. You have to, you can buy the lesson, but you have to get educated. So people are going to be a little more uncomfortable and a little more bored when they start to change their mindset. But that's, that's really not the end of the world to be a little bored and a little uncomfortable because then once you really dive into the work, it's anything but boring. It's absolutely fascinating. Um, and instead of having these big explosions, every little moment is just a whole kaleidoscope of um, different experiences. But it's just in a different, it's in a different light, you know. So if you're used to explosions, this will be boring for you. But if you are the kind of person that likes the small details, then it's fascinating and it, it's never boring. And it never ends. It's like a lifelong yeah. journey. Yeah, it never, never ends. You know, every time I uh, think I'm smooth and and doing things well and attentive and aware then I have one of my teachers tell me that I'm so abrupt and I'm pulling and I'm like how can that (laughs) how can you possibly get more refined than this and they're like all you're doing is pulling you know tone it down more take it down more so you know it just it never ends thank you ever so much for this talk Amy I I loved it yeah it's brilliant and thank you for having me that was a lot of fun you have just heard episode 24 from Clan of the Horses, a podcast about horses and horse people. This podcast grows out of Norway's largest podcast about horses. And if you have suggestions for future guests apt to improve horse welfare, feel free to reach out to me. You will find my email address in the episode description. And if you like the episode, please write a review, rate and or share it with people apt to find it interesting. I want to thank my composer Fredrik Blom and my guest Amy Skinner for encouraging people to become a better version of themselves. And last but not least, I want to thank you, dear listener, for your patience. May the horse be forever with you.